What does it look like for people who do sacred work to join in partnership with God for the work that they do? What kind of rhythms and practices do they sustain? Those are the kinds of questions we ask here on the Consortio Day podcast. My name is John Chandler, and this podcast is a companion to my work as a spiritual director. And I hope it is a gift and encouragement to you as we shape a community that learns from each other. My guest today is J.R. Roscoe. One of the things that I appreciate about J.R. as I've known him is he kind of lives in two worlds or has two passions. And the way he describes it is he has straddled the worlds of local church ministry and the theological formation of Christian leaders. J.R. previously served as the co-founder and national director for the Missio Alliance, and he now shares two different roles with his wife. One of them, they co-lead pastor together, the First Church of the Resurrection in Canton, Ohio. And they also are co-directors of Missional Innovation for Churches for the Sake of Others, which is an Anglican diocese that is across the nation. One of the things I appreciate and was really excited to talk to JR about today is the work that he's doing, or rather I should say the formation he's exploring through the Order of the Common Life, which is a new monastic religious order. I think there's a lot for all of us to learn from the idea of what does it mean to have a rule of life, and particularly, what does it mean for us to be part of a community that shares in a rule of life together? And so I wanted to bring him on a lot because I wanted to just hear more about what that looks like for him. So without any other delay, let's get into our conversation with J.R. Roscoe. So J.R., tell us about the context of your sacred work is the, like, is the way I like to say it. And you have multiple contexts, but tell us about, you know, what, what is the sacred work that you do, your vocation? Yeah. Um, I, yeah, there's three actually that come to mind. I don't know if this is like a good thing or a bad thing, but for a long time now, I found myself, yeah, swimming in different streams and doing different work and those kinds of things. So uh, a primary one I would say is that Amy, my wife, and I uh, are entering our third year of uh, serving as co-lead pastors of a historic uh, non-denominational church uh, here in Canton, Ohio, where we live. Yeah. Right. Those are things that don't often go together, historic and non-denominational, um, right. right? So it's First Church of the Resurrection is 212 years old. Wow. Started in 1810. Uh, but then there were some denominational mergers for them that happened along the way, and um, they opted to become independent back in 2005. Okay. Um, so that's how that happened. And to, and to be doing this as an Anglican priest. Right, I was going to say, and yet you wear a collar, so. Yes, Uh, so commissioned by, uh, yeah, my bishop, Todd, Amy and I's bishop, Todd Hunter, uh, to serve this congregation uh, as an Anglican priest, even though the church is not uh, currently Anglican and maybe never will be. Uh, So that's like the first context. And then um, another new thing uh, that Amy and I are doing together is serving as uh, co-directors of missional innovation for the diocese that we're a part of, which is churches for the sake of others. Um, and I can say more about that. So we're sharing these two part-time roles. Uh, and then there's also this relationship I have with something called the order of the common life that Amy and I came to be a part of. It's kind of a new monastic, uh, religious order. And last year we spent uh, six months as postulants in that religious order and are now in this like novitiate stage. Um, and the exploring religious orders has been uh, something that's been really interesting to me for a long time. And so um, 
the the Lord's provision of the order of the common life. Yeah, and our uh, our stepping into that has been um, incredibly life giving, uh, yeah. and feels like part of part of my vocational calling as well. Well, yeah. So let's. Well, I mean. I'm going to leave your role at First Church of the Resurrection where it is. I think most people who might listen to this would have a handle on co-pastor of a church. Yeah. But those other two are going to be probably unique to a lot of people. Certainly, um, the Order of the Common Life, I'd love to explore that a little bit more because terms like novitiate and what, what did you say? Uh, apostasy? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> apostasy, right. Six um, months of apostasy. But th- those are going to be, you know— Terms that some might be very familiar with, but a lot, you know, would might be more in my realm of that's a vaguely familiar term that I feel like I remember from my church history classes. So, yeah, say, say more about that. What is what does it mean to be a novitiate, and say more about the order of the common life? Yeah. So, um, the order of the common life was uh, begun uh, primarily by. Jared Boyd, mm-hmm. um, and he so he's a vineyard guy. He's down in Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. Um, and he's just been dwelling in, in this sort of stuff for over a decade and like sourcing a lot of it from, uh, what have religious orders, like what has always been true of them? Like how has God used them? What was going on there and, and how might they be reappropriated for our day? And so there's, uh, everything is really organized around a rule of life, yes. right? And so yeah. that's probably something I imagine a lot more of your listeners would be sure, familiar with, sure. but more and more conversation around this idea of a rule of life and living into a practice-based kind of faith. Um, But historically, you know, a rule of life was never uh, something that you sort of took on as an individual. You took it on uh, because you were a member of a community of people who had covenanted together to live under and to live out that rule of life together. Hence the order of the common life. Yes. Um, And so there is a distributed nature to the religious order, uh, to the OCL. Um, but if you were to talk to Jared or anybody else who's a part of it, like it's also really clear that the the goal is that there would come to be um, small groups of people in geographic proximity to one another who are taking on similar commitments and that sort of thing. So uh, the postulancy was, you know, it, that's just like, it, it was a six month period of like, if a religious order, if you think of it as a house, you know, that's kind of stepping onto the porch. You're like, what is this like? Yeah. What is important to this community of people? What kind of conversations do they have? What are like, what's going on? Uh, and then novitiate uh, is your decision to kind of come inside the house, yeah. right? And say, well, let's go sit down in the living room and talk longer and dwell here a bit more. Um, that uh, is a period that can last here a minimum of 18 months or like some people just kind of live in the living room yeah, <laughs> for yeah. forever in that kind of relationship. Um, but at the end of those 18 months, there will be an invitation to us to consider taking on vows, uh, permanent vows to the community. And that's, you know, that's moving in. <laughs> I like this house a lot and I want to live here. Um, so that's sort of the, the way that the stages work from postulancy to novitiate to vow number. And I, so does that mean that right now you are living within the rule to see if it's something that will work well for you. And then once you go to vowed member, you say, we take on this rule for the rest of our life. Right. Yeah. Yep. Precisely. Yeah. Okay. And we can talk more about what that rule is. I imagine that might 
be very much a part of our conversation unless it's a secret. No, <laughs> you know, I'm sure not it's a not secret. a secret. I've looked you at the website. I know it's not a secret. Of the common life. <laughs> see it all. Yep. Um, all right. And then talk a little bit about your role with C4SO. Like what, is, what does it mean to be the directors of missional innovation? Yeah, it's a funky title. We just couldn't come up with anything better. Uh, and so it's got, it's, experimental. Um, there's two facets to it. One of it has directly to do with the order of the common life, right? So as as uh, Amy and I were just kind of doing this on our own and saying, there is so much life here for us. Um, and we want other people to be exposed to it. But, and, and, but as those who have made a home within an Anglican diocese, uh, churches for the sake of others, that's sort of our immediate context to ask this question, are there other people here, like in the family of our diocese, who might be interested in and benefit from an opportunity to come and be a part of the order of the common life? I mentioned before, like Jared's a vineyard guy, but it's never been his ambition for like the order of the common life to be a, a vineyard thing. Right. Um, only in so much as it like, you know, maybe a catalyst for it. Right. But Jared's vision has always been that it would find a home within uh, multiple streams of the life of the church. So anyways, uh, so part of Amy and I's responsibility, we're doing this right now, has like, we've invited a small group of people from C4SO uh, into a postulancy experience. So it's all C4SO folks who are exploring the same thing that we did last year and sort of trying that on for themselves. And then we'll also be asking the question like, hey, what would it look like for us to sort of... um, house a permanent, I don't know if this is the right word, but like chapter of the order of the common life within our diocese and like make it a permanent part of our diocesan life. I should have said before that the order exists both both for clergy and for laity. Um, it doesn't have a dividing line across those kinds of things. So we're like right in the midst of that, seeing where that will go. The other side of that is sort of like zooming out from that and asking the question, So here's more technical terminology that you'll know, but others might not of like the church existing in the two forms of like a modality and a sodality, right? Ralph Winter kind of is someone who put this on our radar back in the eighties. And so a parish or a local church, like the church exists in the primary mode of what we come to think of as local churches, but then down through history, there's also been ways in which the church exists in these sodalic uh, forms. Religious orders are an expression of those. Um, other kinds of neo-monastic communities or community development initiatives, like things that like, um, I mean, evangelicals, what we've kind of done is like, we have a whole like parachurch. Yeah. yeah. I was just about to toss out that word. Yeah. Yeah. Enterprise, right. Um, where they're Christian, uh, they're Christian based, but in not all instances, are they like, um, fall under the umbrella of a recognized church, yes. right? An ecclesial yes. kind of structure. And so so the other side of what Amy and I are doing as like directors of missional innovation is is just sort of exploring, like doing some R&D about what might the Holy Spirit be doing in our day and age um, to recenter the place of sodalities um, in the life of the church, to come alongside parish expressions of the church at, and give the church an imagination for existing in other forms uh, for 
you know, in ways that have like a reverse impact, maybe on the life of the church, like a renewing kind of function, but also a, a missional expression as well, a way for the church to like find other kinds of expressions in the world to connect with people, to be a blessing and to further the mission of God. Yeah. And, and you, you've already, I think you've already started to answer this, but I'm going to ask this question because maybe there's more to say, but you know, you described these two part-time roles that you share with your wife. So you have a bunch of half or quarter rule. <laughs> Who knows how all this math works out? Yeah. Um, but then you very much described that being part of the, do, can we call it the OCL? Did they yeah. ever say the OCL? All right. Yeah. Sounds like the OC, but it's the OCL. Right. Um, you, you know, you described that as very much part of your vocation. So mm-hmm. yeah, how does that, how does that feel like part of your vocation? And how does it, I mean, you've described already a little bit with C4SO, but yeah. I just wonder how the interplay of OCL along with the church and yes. C4SO all fit together. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I personally am someone who's kind of had a foot in these twin worlds of like the life and ministry of the local church yes. and then sort of like theological education or theological formation, you know, through things like Missio Alliance, right, yes. that I've been yeah. for a long time. Um, that have to do with like, well, what are, what are the big issues and trends and conversations and formational opportunities that are presenting themselves to Christian leaders? And how are we, how are we thinking about those? So that, like, if I were to try to like articulate my sense of a vocational calling, it actually continues to be, to be someone who kind of dwells in both of those worlds. Right. And for lack of a better way of putting it, I think it is like, the modalic expression of the church, which is a parish or a local church and the sodalic expression of the church of like what other forms ought the church to exist in um, uh, sort of on the edges, yeah. right? Like, because yeah. the, the modality and rightly so like the modality expression of the church should change very slowly. Like we should be really cautious about messing with like, the modalic expression of the church that's existed and that's been passed down to us over the last 2000 years. But as like someone who is kind of an innovator, has an entrepreneurial spirit, like has been doing apostolic kinds of work for a long time. um, I find that I also need like ways to like invest my energy in what's happening on the fringes and the edges. Right. Um, That ought to be more experimental right? Because yeah, uh, yeah, it yeah. exists alongside and, and to press into that. Like I just resonate really strongly with someone like John Wesley, right? Who like the modality of the Anglican church that he knew uh, was moving so slowly that it couldn't contain some of the things that he knew that God was calling him to be and to do. Um, there's, and, you know, there's a whole history behind that. But I think like what wound up becoming the Methodist movement uh, was very much like in his mind meant to be a, a sodalic yeah. kind of thing, right? Yeah. Not, not ever meant to be another church. So yeah. anyways, that's sort of the best stab I can take it. Like my sense of how those things relate to my own sense of vocational calling. And I, I was trying to think, I mean, I, I probably first met you 15 years ago or close to it. Um, when we were both in churches that were part of the Ecclesia network and my, my awareness or my experience of you back then was, uh, you know, a deep passion and interest in the mission side of things. You know, I, I don't know if you were already working on your 
degree at Fuller, but you know, you were very much interested in missiology and, um, and, you know, and as I've gotten to know you better over the years, just conversations in passing or, you know, even seeing things that you're sharing on social media, I've seen this interest in spiritual formation be more apparent. And I'm curious yeah. if, have you always had that interest in spiritual formation and I just didn't see it until I knew you better? Or has that interest in spiritual formation grown out of your own passion for mission and missiology? Yeah. That's such a great question. Um, it has grown uh, for sure. And, you know, as, as would be the case for so many of us, Dallas Willard was a huge yeah. part of that yeah. evolution in my story. Uh, and through him, you know, t- like getting to know Todd Hunter, who was a direct disciple of Dallas's and people like James Brian Smith and uh, others who kind of exposed me to that. And then I think that there was just, I don't, you know, can attribute it to like what second half of life kind of stuff around mm-hmm. turning 40 or whatever. Like I, there was an earlier JR who uh, maybe the JR that you first remember. He was really intense. 15 years ago. <laughs> was that how I came across? Was really intense? Not okay. really good looking. That's what, that's not what stands out in your mind. Um, Yes, that's not surprising to me that you would say that. That makes sense. Um, that I knew then uh, I should develop the contemplative side of my spirituality. And try as I might, I was horrible at it. Like I had no energy for it. I had no, like no patience for it. Hmm. And then I, I don't know what you would attribute it to, but there was a, a point at which a number of years later, I felt like I got a special kind of grace from the Lord, not to like become a contemplative. Like I still actually really struggle with that identifying in that way. Um, But I have felt a special kind of grace over the last eight to 10 years to like lean into the cultivation of the contemplative side of my spirituality and have come to see how like short-sighted and superficial the activist side of my spirituality actually has been. Uh, when it's untethered from yes. uh, the robust cultivation of a contemplative spirituality, and so I'm, I consider myself still a baby in that. But I, but again, like this baby who's like, I don't feel like I'm kicking anymore. Like I feel like I'm like there is a flow of the Holy Spirit. Right. Um, you know, I don't wake up in the mornings now and go, just give me an hour of meditative silence. Like it's still like work but it's actually work that I enjoy yes. doing. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, part of what was prompting me to ask that question is I wondered if your, if your journey to spiritual formation and perhaps it had always been there, but I wondered if it was an intellectual journey, which for me in a lot of ways it was like out of my own passion for mission, I th- realized there's gotta be spiritual formation or if it was a personal journey, you know, and I, I guess I suppose it's both, but it's really easy to study all of the mission books and realize there needs to be spiritual formation. I better figure out how to do this versus yeah, what you describe as like a special grace. And that's, that's really beautiful to hear. Yeah. So let, yeah. Um, I would say, sorry, real quick. I'll just say like, yeah. and I think it's just having opportunities to be around people who just smell like Jesus to me, who yeah. act like Jesus, who convey something about the kingdom and to across the board, like have them say, 
anything that you sense in me comes from like my giving myself over to rhythms, habits, and disciplines that cultivate uh, a contemplative side of my spirituality and finally saying, okay, like if I actually want to see God help me become like that kind of person, uh, these are the things that I am going to have to give myself to. And thus the draw, I would assume, to the order of the common life. Indeed. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, I mean, let's, let's talk about that. Or uh, there might be other things that you want to talk about as well. But I, th- I think talking about the order of the common life really leans in on, you know, kind of my hope for these conversations, because it's you do sacred work. And so in order to do that, you open yourself up to be formed by God. And so it yeah. sure seems like the order of the common life would be, you know, one of the primary means for you. So maybe you can just talk a little bit about what that looks like. Let me ask a specific question first. Um, you know, you talked about that six-month front porch experience. I keep losing the word for that one. What? What? The postulancy. Postulancy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, that's almost what I said. Yeah. <laughs> um, is, is that would that almost be similar to like a ancient catechumen where you're you have someone else guiding you and leading you in that season and showing you the way, so to speak? Um. Yeah. I mean. The what it looked like was uh, we had a cohort of people that met yeah. every other week, yeah. um, and we were just slowly progressing through the elements of the rule of life. And so uh, there were uh, video teachings that we would watch, um, and then we would get together. The cohort would get together every other week and yeah. simply reflect on what did you hear in those teachings? What's resonating with you? Um, what's grading against you. And then there was an invitation to journal every week. Right. And so it was kind of a, like time-wise, like there's not a lot of commitment. Like you're just uh, dipping your toe in the water. You're being invited to kind of notice things out of a particular grid. And then you're being invited into a small community of people who are on the same path, going at the same pace, exploring the same things, simply having conversation. It's a lot about noticing Um, and it's a lot about like invitation, like really asking what are the invitations you're experiencing from the Lord and, um, how are you responding to those? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, talk about it from there. What, what is it, what does it look like for you to take on that rule? How much of the rule is personal and how much of it is this shared rule that everybody takes on? What does that look like? Yeah. Um, so all of it is personal. Um, and then there are as there are as like, you know, part of the rule of life is like shared work and shared economy, um, and things like that, that like in a distributed format, you can find kind of some ways to live in to those. Um, but again, they're meant to find expression as a number of people in a shared geography take on that rule of life together. And right now here, it's really just Amy and I and one other person uh, locally who kind of went through the postulancy with us has proceeded on to the novitiate. And so we have at least one other person who's kind of on that journey, though there is a slightly larger group of people that we have like exposed to some of that content and had conversations around those things. So there's a, a group of people who are interested, but not necessarily formally in the pipeline of the postulancy or the novitiate. Um, And this has actually been one of my major learnings recently or things that I'm like tending to. It's not, I I can't quite say yet. It's something I've 
like learned, but actually trying to uh, ascertain what's going on in me when I try to negotiate the difference between as an individual uh, bringing certain spiritual habits and rhythms into my life versus uh, investing myself in the life of a community that's like I know is trying to live out these ways together. I find myself like so much, it's so much, I have so much more personal momentum to live into these uh, habits and rhythms, aspects of the rule of life. Um, when it's like, oh, well, there's a community of us yes. that like we're all kind of doing these things yeah. together. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. There's a voice in the back of my head that's like, oh, JR, you're so weak. You need these people around you to be doing this. You can't do it on your own. Um, like you're just uh, you're just faking it. Like it's only easy for you, or, or there's a modicum of easiness for it in it for you because of these people. Um, and I I think that there's something I need to pay attention to there. But there's also I think an important spiritual logic, right? That like I actually think God designed us to live in these things in community, uh, and so it should be unsurprising. Uh, I suppose when we find uh, that we're more supported uh, and more animated when we're doing these things together with others. Yeah. I mean, that's the beauty of the word common, right? Like this is a shared thing. This is a common life. So yeah. Well, what are the, what are the elements of the rule of life that you've taken on that have been particularly meaningful for you? Yeah. I mean, so the way that the order of the common life talks about them, the four, like core components um, would be prayer and rest uh, and work and study, prayer, rest, work, and study. Mm -hmm. And then there's other things that come around that, you know, like silence and solitude and spiritual direction and simplicity. Uh, I'm reading off the list here just to make sure I don't miss any. Um, (laughs) The the consecration of love, discernment within community, shared economy, hospitality, spiritual friendship, formational healing, uh, the sharing of faults and affirmations, uh, service to the church and shared work. Yeah. So there's a whole list there, uh, but the way in which the order of the common life talks about them is like at the center of all this, uh, our commitments to prayer and rest and study and labor, um, bodily labor. And then all those other things kind of come, come around those. So I, I mean, just to pick a couple that yeah, have yeah. like really got my, uh, soul doing work, uh, formational healing is one, the idea that like what God really means to do and to be in our lives is, is a healer. Right. Um, and it's, uh, this idea that like sin at work in the world impacts all of us, uh, infuses all of us, flows out of all of us. Um, and what he really wants to do is form us by healing us. Um, that's not like a brand new concept to me necessarily, yeah. but actually to invest myself in the life of a community that's like, we're trying to encounter God in such a way that we're allowing him to do a healing work in us, um, so that we can be healers of others. Uh, people that are part of the order of the common life, spiritual direction is a regular thing, uh, for us. And that's been really good and important for me yeah. but flowing out of that deeply connected to it is the idea of spiritual friendship. And this is maybe one of these things as Amy and I work on forming community here in Canton. One of the things that we're talking to people a lot about is like 
what would it actually mean to think of the church as a community of spiritual friends? Yeah. That what we most share isn't that we gather at the same place at the same time, enjoy the same kind of worship style on a Sunday morning, but that we're actually taking an active interest in the spiritual formation of one another, asking one another's soul level questions and not really in an accountability sense, just in a like, what is God doing in your life these days? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. You know, hospitality, service to the poor, like those are things that like are constantly on my mind and I have, you know, have to contend with. I could talk about all of them, but those are probably some of the ones that have resonated most strongly with me, at least initially. I I recall, um, I mean, this is when I first had some awareness of what you were up to. um, And I'm reminded of it because I see it behind you. You have this beautiful wood paneling or wood. I don't know if it's technically paneling behind you. Yeah, I remember you. I, I remember you did that, and you posted a picture of it and talked about it. it. Was part of your the the manual labor. I don't remember what terminology you used. I just yeah. remember thinking that's beautiful, and I love that he's equating that with his own faith formation. Talk a little bit about that. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when uh, again, like uh, at the very beginning of the postulancy. Uh, at, well, after a, f- a few number of weeks, uh, there's an invitation to say, hey, of the four of prayer, uh, rest, uh, bodily labor, or study, are there one of these four that you most feel an invitation um, from the Lord to sort of like give yourself to? And really clearly for me, it was it was bodily labor. And even more specifically, like giving myself to things that I'm not good at and don't typically have patience for. Yes. Um, yeah. uh, it was super hard. <laughs> like, uh, you know, uh, like like a lot of people, um, I really enjoy giving myself to things that I feel pretty competent at. Sure. Um, I am not a skilled builder at all. Um, and, you know, cards on the table, much of this building I didn't do. Um, but I still had to give myself to it and like participated in it with others. I used it as an opportunity, uh, two gentlemen from our church who are retired, um, have lots of tools and time and knowledge about how to build things. This was a way for us to spend some time together. They loved it. Um, uh, I asked them, Hey, would you, you know, on occasion come over here and help me on Saturdays work on this. And after one or two, they were like, Hey, can we come over here and work on this when you're not here? (laughs) (laughs) We don't want to be cussed at. <laughs> uh, yeah, feel free, guys. Um, yeah, but this and I mean, there's stuff I could show you in the yard and like, um, I love efficiency, man. I, I just love being efficient and productive. I love doing things that I feel competent at. And I in that postulancy, there was just like four solid months where, again, I felt like there was a kind of grace for this. So it, it didn't feel like excruciating necessarily but hard still yeah. to like make time in my day and my weeks to like do things that I find tedious and um, hard uh, and not things that I want to give myself to. So there's lots of learning that has flowed out of that. Um, some patience, I think that's been cultivated um, along the way. Uh, but more than anything, I think I've learned like, uh, there's, 
when you are experiencing a genuine invitation from the Lord to something, then there's going to be grace for it. Yeah. Like even when it's hard. And so that was a lesson as well. Yeah. You know, it's, it's fascinating and beautiful and I'm kind of drawing parallels for my own recent experience here, because I think so many of us, if we were to just describe our impressions of ancient monastic people or ancient monastic orders, the thought would be that it is this space of denial. It is a space of self-sacrifice. It is a space of giving up. Um, And yet you keep talking about invitation because the whole goal of this is not just to limit yourself or deny yourself, but it's to seek invitation. And and the reason I draw that jumps out at me is because I've been doing um, the spiritual exercises of Ignatius for the past nine months. And that's one of the core things that's in that as well is just pay attention to desire. Like what desire is God birthing in you? And so all of these things, it's not these, it's not these rigid structures that you take on so that you can, purge yourself of all the iniquity, so to speak. Although, right. you know, hopefully that happens, but yeah. but they're more about what desire is God birthing in you? You know, what what invitation are you sensing? What invitation are you experiencing that God is inviting you to? So I just yes. I really like hearing that and seeing that it's common, you know, a, a, across these experiences. Yeah. Yeah, yeah those are uh, the, the novitiate part of the order of the common life. Um, the doing the Ignatian exercises uh, is a part of that that you can do on the front end or not. Uh, the other part of it is like a particular course of study, like something you really want to lean into. You're supposed to like select one of the facets of the rule of life that, that again, you feel an invitation to go a lot deeper in and uh, do some study around. And so I'm doing my study on the front end, but eventually as part of my novitiate experience, I'll go through the Ignatian exercises as well. Eric, our, our friend here locally is doing those now. And it's been just fascinating uh, to see what the Lord's been doing in his life as he's been working through that like hmm. whole life retreat. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what does this look like for your church then? Like how much, how much do you talk about it? How much do you, is it, is it merely forming you so that you can co-pastor a congregation or is this coming into play in the church in other ways? Yeah, uh, not, not directly, depending on how you look at it. So when we said yes to the invitation to become co-lead pastors of First Church of the Resurrection uh, in the fall of 2019, we knew then that uh, the call was to essentially replant this mm-hmm. church, that it's a, um, a church of around you know 30 or so senior adults, most of whom this is the only church that they've ever known in their whole life, uh, to their credit. Uh, as Canton has suffered, um, and downtown Canton, especially where our church building is located, um, these dear saints have never left. Like so many churches have left downtown over the years. And these, uh, people have stayed and have said, we feel like God has more for us here. Um, and so what we, you know, so we had six months in, and then the COVID curtain fell down and everything yes, was disrupted. Yeah. And the I don't know COVID if you've heard, curtain. I don't know right. if you've heard about that, but yeah, that kind of happened to a lot of people. Um, 
And so Amy and I have felt like we're kind of doing two things. We're uh, tending to this uh, historic congregation uh, on the one hand um, that likely itself like won't see uh, incredible amounts of revival. Like I feel like we're just stewarding, loving, pastoring uh, this. God can do whatever God wants to do. Um, But we're trying to allow them to have the kind of church experience they've known for 70 years. Yes. Right? Um, and on the, and then on the side, we're trying to cultivate new kinds of community, right? People who would step in um, and who want to be a part of a church. I don't know if you would have caught the article. Um, oh, I just blanked on his name, but he wrote this article in Christianity today. Uh, Mike Moore from Northern about the rise of the ums. Nope. Did you see this? Nuns. And duns and ums, <laughs> he coined this term and said, there are these people who they love Jesus. They actually want to be a part of the church. Um, I say, um, but like, they don't actually know what that looks like for them for a variety of reasons on the other side of COVID. And Amy and I feel like we're part of our calling is to create a space for these kinds of people who are yeah. like, we love Jesus. We love the church. We're looking around. There doesn't seem to be anything that really makes sense for us. And we're trying to carve out some space. So it's with that group of people uh, who are more like our age in their 40s and 30s and have young kids um, that we're taking actually, like I said before, some of the facets of the order of the common life and actually trying to bake them into the DNA of the community that we're forming and just seeing a ton of resonance about that. Uh, Like we're only three days into this, so I don't want to like, over, not, <laughs> no, not, 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 no, not the whole thing. What I'm about right. to share, we're only three days into, but one of the practices we just decided as a community that we wanted to experiment with is we're using an app called Volley. Um, it's kind of like Marco Polo. It's but more like Slack. Um, and we're taking turns in the morning, actually sort of like recording ourselves doing the daily office. And so every member of the community can participate in this, right? You come on for five minutes, you offer an opening prayer, you read a selection of scripture. If anything strikes you and you want to comment, you can. Um, And then you use a closing collect and it takes five minutes. And and what we're experiencing already is this really fun way for us to be connected throughout the week, right? And to have this distributed way in which we're sharing responsibility for the spiritual nourishment of the whole community, doing a very simple thing. Uh, So anyways, all that to say, like as Amy and I and Eric, who's a part of this dwell in the land of the order of the common life, we're simultaneously trying to ask the question, how do we take some of this DNA and some of the instincts um, and actually begin? So like, curate um yeah. an expression of the local church um not be, not assuming that everyone would want to go you know deep and become a member of the order necessarily but actually like embodying a practice-based kind of faith that flows yes. out of some of these things yeah so i mean not to oversimplify it but almost to say that you're forming a new community or forming a core group around a common life you know a rule of life rather than a scheduled gathering. Fair to say? Uh, Too yes. simple? Okay. I mean, we do have scheduled gatherings. So we of gather course. on Sunday evenings and we share a meal. Um, and we're, there's some new rhythms that we're just beginning to lean into for the summer. Um, but so much of it is conversational for us, um, right? That we're, we're not trying to recreate just like a worship service. Um, we're actually utilizing formational kinds of conversations and that sort of thing. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, tell me, um, uh, we'll, we'll start winding down here real quick, but what, uh, tell me about your own, you know, we talked about the, the broader picture of the order, but tell me about your own weekly or daily rhythms that sustain you for the work you do. Yes. Um, so yeah, like I've been doing this for a while, either on my own, but now we're kind of sharing responsibility as a community for um, doing an office in the morning, mm-hmm. uh, spending some time in scripture and in prayer. Um, I, I have some time in the morning that I do those on my own. Uh, but then we have, you know, three young kids, 10, eight and five. Um, so we also have like some family rhythms, like we're just in that season of life where it's really important that we're doing things together as a family around the breakfast table. Um, man, I can't remember the name of it right now. Um, Amy kind of sourced this from somewhere, but there's like an audio devotional that we do in the morning as a family. Uh, and just having that as a, uh, a time together for the five of us is really important. Um, so I am in the space that I'm in right now is above my garage in a, a detached garage away from the house. Yeah. And so I typically come out here in the mornings and try to spend some time in silence before I get into my, get into my day. Um, but then like things like walk, walking and working out, like doing things with my body, um, are really important for me, uh, in terms of spiritual rhythms. Uh, and then study is really important to me. Like I, I do have this sort of intellectual side to me as someone who's done a lot of school and continues to be just fascinated by yes. the trends that we're seeing. Um, and so I do a lot of reading because um, I enjoy just what happens on the inside of me yeah. when I'm allowing yeah. really good thought, uh, especially like old older thought uh, to penetrate and form what's going on inside my head and heart. Yeah. I, I remember the, I, I don't remember who or what, you know, but you know, I've done a fair amount of reading about Enneagram and, and I, I identify pretty well with Enneagram five. And I remember somewhere along the way saying uh, Enneagram fives can experience ideas almost like emotions. <laughs> I felt so oh, understood yeah. in that moment because I thought, mm-hmm. yes, like I, I, I get a level of excitement out of coming across some kind of new learning or, you know, exploring some kind of new idea that actually really stirs me and excites me. So I appreciate you naming, you know, study because for so many studies, just like the burden you have to get through, but you have to move it from your head to your heart, but there is a value, you know, in, in discovering and exploring and seeing God and theology in new ways because of, of that level of engagement. Yeah. 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 Um, you might know I, I would identify as an Enneagram one. Um, and so the, I, I've always most enjoyed, you know, when you try to slap these one word labels onto Enneagram yeah. numbers, the one that has stuck for me the most is probably the improver. Um, and so I, as I look out my window here, I just see the new deck that we just finished. Um, This is also very like restorational for me when I feel like I can give myself over things to improve them, especially if it has to do with making them more beautiful. Yeah. Um, Beauty has become a really important thing for me that I wouldn't have been 10 years ago. Yeah. Uh, And I just find 
immersing myself, contemplating beauty, um, does something to the interior of me that like nothing else does. Yeah. So that's become important too. Yeah. And I, I think I've, I mean, you told me you'd listen to some other podcasts from, you know, this, excuse me, from my new podcast. And, um, I can't tell you how often those themes of beauty or particularly walking, you know, walking for the purpose of engaging with beauty and nature keep coming up. And I just wonder, not to say that those were never valuable, um, but I just wonder if that's something that God is reawakening a lot of us to, you know, is reconnect and just be present with what's going on around you and, and appreciate things that take time rather than, you know, instant pot, you know, to take, yeah. appreciate the things that are going around, pay attention and notice the beauty around. And that feels like such a necessary and valuable thing for right now, but it's just been yeah. so common, even as I've interviewed people for this about walking in particular, but for the purpose of being attentive mm-hmm. to what's going on around us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, one last question. Um, you know, it, I, I keep wanting to rephrase this question. I found the right way to rephrase it, but I think it still works because it's just an open-ended question. But, but what do you understand now that you wish you understood when you were starting out in, we'll, we'll use the word ministry, but in, in your vocation? What do, you, what do you wish you understood then? Oh, man. How do you begin to narrow that down? <laughs> I don't know. You know, just to stick with sort of the themes that have already come up for us, I think that um, I wish that I would have, and I don't know that you can, like, can you do this on the first half of life? I don't know. But I wish I could have somehow come to understand that contemplative spirituality isn't esoteric or just for those who are more prone to like the interior life of the soul. Like, I feel like I'm, I've been learning over the course of the last eight to 10 years that like the cultivation of the contemplative side of my spirituality, anyone's spirituality is actually essential um, yes. to those who would want to understand healthy spirituality as something that's grounded, like grounded in and flowing out of like an ever deepening communion with the Trinity. And I have to imagine that I encountered that idea earlier in life. And like, I just don't know. Um, I don't have a lot of experience with people who I'm like, oh, they totally got that when they were 25. Right. Uh, maybe they're there. <laughs> I just wasn't around them. Uh, I do wish that had been the case. And it matters to how we're parenting now, like how we're thinking about cultivating the spiritual life of our young children. Um, Amy and I aren't so focused on like getting their heads filled with Bible knowledge. Not like the Bible's super important to us. So I don't mean, you know, I don't mean uh, that we're to demute, uh, push that sure. down or anything like that. Um, or, the, you know, or activism or whatever, but actually like, you know, that I said that um, the audio devotional that we do in the morning as a family is a contemplative, very like imaginative kind of exercise. Uh, Jared Boyd wrote a book. You probably know it called imaginative prayer. We've taken our kids through that and like just watch them open wide 
to all kinds of things. So I don't know. That's the thing that I would probably like most key in on. I look back at like 25 year old JR and I was like, oh man, how much pain could someone have saved him if they could have convinced him mm, to not lean so heavily on <laughs> like his young uh, egocentric activist, activistic kinds of sensibilities. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, I ask, uh, that's part of the reason why I say I keep trying to rephrase this question, because I think it's a valuable question, not not for the sake of being hard on our younger self, but just being attentive to what God has been leading and teaching us toward and what God still might be. You know, I, I'm 51 now, and I've reached the phrase where, or the phase where, you know, when I was 40, I looked back at my 25 to 30 year old self and thought, I wish you would have known that. Now I'm 50 and I'm going, I wish my 40 year old self would have known that. So I hope that I can always keep that kind yeah. of, you know, awareness that there's always some place to go. So, yeah. 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 The one other thing I can say very simply is like, um, I, I, I was brought up in a particular brand of evangelical Christianity where it was just assumed the bigger the platform, the bigger the influence. Yeah. And, yeah. I like that, that died in me a long time ago, like yeah. that a long time ago, you know, probably 10 years ago. Um, but that as well, like as much as I could sort of help crucify that notion yeah. yes. in the life of anybody else who's being spiritually formed. Um, I think that would be good work. <laughs> yeah. 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 Cause we keep seeing those platforms crash. Not to say that everybody who has a big platform is, corrupt by any means but we sure do right. keep seeing those platforms crash yeah yeah, yeah. well jr man it is it is good to see your face and just catch up it's been a while and i appreciate yeah. you taking the time yeah thanks john for the invitation yeah